0: Dear listeners, I'm proud to tell you that this episode of the Leading Steep podcast is sponsored by The Ready State. Stay with me for a short message at the break for a special offer and free trial to access the virtual mobility coach at thereadystate.com. Adventure stories, leadership allegories, and wisdom from the world's great adventure guides. This is Leading Steep. I'm Barry Cruz. I'm an old class five guide in the whitewater world and an executive in the white collar world. I'm still learning to be better at both. So I'm interviewing legendary leaders and adventure guides from around the world to learn what they've learned, to know what they know. I call this guide ethos. If you've committed to be a more connected, courageous leader anywhere, this is the Leading Steep Podcast. It's been a weird world for more than a year now. Even though I've saved time on my commute, I know I've spent a lot more time than I should have in my home office. Many of us have pictures of the beautiful places we'd like to visit on our walls or as screensavers or backgrounds on the devices we spend too much time on. But what if your office was one of those screensaver-like locations? What if your place of work happened to be the darling of millions of photographers over the years? the backdrops for people like John Muir, President Teddy Roosevelt, and Ansel Adams. Of course I'm referring to Yosemite National Park in Northern California. One of the things I admire about the people we get to interview is the fact that they have very often combined a lifestyle with a business. That they make offices out of those screensaver backdrops. One such individual who's successfully done this for nearly 30 years is Ian Elman, owner of Southern Yosemite Mountain Guides. He started the business with a couple of buddies on a shoestring and built a beloved company that's still running strong today. In Ian's short biography, he writes, Someone recently asked me, still doing the camping thing? I smiled proudly and said, yep, still doing the camping thing. Ian runs a great business with really good guides and shares real wisdom on leadership and the outdoors. Here's Ian Ellman on Leading Steep. Ian Elman with Southern Yosemite Mountain Guides. It's a thrill to meet you and I'm really appreciative of you spending some time with me on the Leading Steep podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. So first question I so often ask is, tell us about how you got into guiding. How did you get into this whole business?
1: I traveled a lot with my family, but not in a real traditional kind of outdoor sense. My parents weren't that outdoorsy really, but my mom was a travel agent and you know, we used to go places and I always used to think this is great. And, you know, we'd go to resorts and I, I saw that people were kind of running the shows there. And I said to myself, wow, someone's got to be in this industry. Someone has to be the leader here in these in these fun things that we're doing. And then, you know, fast forward, I was at summer camp right at Bass Lake here, you know, in right near Yosemite where our, our business ended up. And I was, met my partners in the business originally and and you know as kids so we were you know our standby me years you know we call them you know seventh eighth whatever ninth grade we were kids here then we were counselors and then we were trip coordinators and directors of the camp by the end and you know at that point we really knew we wanted to do something all of us and we had you know i went to school in colorado in boulder cu boulder and i grew up in you know, in the Bay Area in Palo Alto. Uh, I went to Boulder and got into all kinds of outdoor stuff there, right? And so, you know, so
0: much opportunity and recreation there. It's incredible.
1: Oh, fantastic, right? So, I learned how to rock climb and mountain biking was just starting to get big. So, this is, you know, 85 to
0: 90. <laughs> sure, hey, I am. I'm a man of a certain age as well. <laughs> yeah. So, I get it. Yeah. yeah.
1: But anyway. Sure. And so, you know, mountain biking was just getting started. So we learned how to mountain bike and uh, you know everything else. And so we, you know, when I graduated college and I came back to California, and I was my uh, one of my partners and I, we were going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. That was our next move, right? We were going to do the twenty six hundred miles, and and so that's we, from
0: from Mexico to Canada, right? Pacific, ex- exactly Pacific Crest
1: exactly. Mexico to Canada. So we spent a month preparing for that, and. Got a knee injury and didn't didn't quite make it. But anyway, the point was we all wanted to do something like that, like a camp counselor kind of thing. And so we decided, hey, you know, let's let's do this. And you remember back in the day, all there was for adventure travel was the big fancy catalogs. I, I mean, I still have the Mount Travel Sobek catalog every year on wilderness travel and all the big big adventure travel houses, right? The only place you could read about it was the ads in Outside Magazine. There was no other outlet. Before the internet, all you could do was kind of dream about these things. And it was, you know, these exotic trips for, you know, back then it was like three weeks and $3,000, you know, which is nothing now, but three weeks or $3,000 and go, you know, play elephant polo in Africa and South Africa, do the safari or whatever, you know, there's all these great things. And so we're like, Great. So then we decided, how how could we how could we make a business out of this? How could we compete in this arena? So we realized that that the rafting industry was the biggest draw in the adventure world. The rafting industry wasn't those big trips.
0: So we it was decided, big in the it was big in the eighties actually it was really growing. I mean, where I worked on the south fork of the American, they were taking one hundred forty thousand people down the river a year or something. It's a giant number.
1: Exactly. So we we're like, wow, rafting. This, I mean, rafting's great. Everyone loves rafting, right? So yeah. And we decided what we know is we know how to we know the backcountry and we like backpacking, and we used to lead all the trips in you know southern Yosemite. They call it right. So it's the area that's. But right in the border of the park, there's the Ansel Adams Wilderness, and then and then below that's the John Muir Wilderness, and it borders the uh, south of the park. And there's you know the Southern Yosemite Highway. They had just named the highway, and there's this big area there. So that's how we got our niche name. But anyway, fast forward, we, we realized that the why is everyone going rafting? How can that be the most popular? Are you like more popular than these really cool like what you know? There's a there's a a low common denominator for adventure. So you have wonderful scenery, fantastic adventure, where there was a certain element of of non-risk from a risk management standpoint. High level of excitement and a high level of, of risk to the guests, but sort of a low level of risk from a risk management standpoint. And so a lot of people could do it, in other words. So we tried to bring this concept Instead of going three weeks and $3,000 to another country, what about Yosemite in, in the Bay Area's backyard? We'll do, how about three days and $300, you know?
0: You got this world-class resource in your backyard. I mean, it's right there. It's like you mentioned, three hours away from San Francisco, and, and you're in a place that people travel from around the world to come and see.
1: Absolutely. So we're like, this is this is great, you know? And we used to have all kinds of uh, areas that we knew. And, and so we just sort of said, let's see if we could do this and we'll take people backpacking and in the beginning people when we told this idea to people they you know backpacking wasn't a traditionally guided sport right so you have fly fishing oh i gotta have a guide for fly fishing you know and oh mountaineering gotta have a guide for mountaineering rock climbing sure you know like all the kind of european sort of influences on on guiding where guiding's an actual sought-after profession well yeah. respect profession there, Where sure. here it's it's kind of like, oh so you're you're a guide, huh? <laughs> yeah. How's that working out, you know? Sure. So we kind of combined these ideas and we're gonna make it affordable, close by, and doable. And people say, well, no one's gonna pay you to go backpacking. They can do that on their own.
0: But they were wrong. There's a lot more to it, though. There's a lot more to it than you think. I thought of taking my kids backpacking on our own a a year or two ago. And first, it means getting a whole ton of gear. And then it means making sure you know where your campsites are. And then it means packing all the proper food and having all the food preparation gear and everything else. I am with you that it's far more complicated than rei might make it appear
1: <laughs> uh, yeah ab- absolutely and there's certainly you know a lot of people that could go backpacking on their own yeah but we tried to bring the best parts of the most popular part of the adventure industry which was the rafting you have wonderful guides and delicious food
0: in a remote <laughs> yeah, setting the big thing yeah you
1: know and so you do this raft and i went rafting as you know i always, of course you get guides and we went rafting, and you have this great food in the middle of the day, and the guides were fun. And even if it's for a half day on the American, you feel like you've done something fantastic, and you have. And With your friends, and yeah, yeah. And so it, we just decided let's try to bring that sort of feeling to simpler backpacking trips. Now we've, of course, have grown, you know, in activities, and we've grown in days, and you know, we. We're known now for a lot more than just our our humble kind of three-day backpacking trips in in the Ansel Adams wilderness, which was south of Yosemite.
0: Let's talk then about you as a guide. Then you had this great introduction to to guiding through summer camps and and also you had good buddies that you hung out with who became your business partners, it sounded like. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so there was three of us originally and we we worked together. We lived in, you know, Bass Lake, uh, California. And Uh, In the beginning, um, one of my partners, uh, he and I worked at the North Face, you know, in downtown Palo Alto. And so we would just sit there all day and scheme what we were going to do. And we had a little- Surrounded
0: by cool, expensive gear. Maybe you got a little discount
1: on the gear though, right? Absolutely, right? So we we would get the (laughs) discount on the gear. And so we started our business. We all put in 500 bucks and we bought, you know, I think it was four sets of gear And we rented a place in Bass Lake, uh, a one bedroom, a friend of ours, the bartender at the saloon. So, you know, there's this funny story, I forget, I was a a blogger or something, but we had one king bed and a closet with the gear, <laughs> you know, the four sets of gear. So we could only take, you know, four people. And so as you know, we'd rotate and the, the good night was when you, you know, you had against the wall. So you didn't have, you know, as many as sandwich sandwiching you.
0: So yeah, typical guide house, it sounds like kind it, of a flop house it, and original, probably smelled bad and all kinds of dirty, dirty gear all over the place. Oh, right. yes,
1: of course. So we didn't pay ourselves anything. We had a car allowance and, you know, you had to keep your truck going that it could, could make it. And kind of a humble humble beginnings there but we started with friends and family and and we got a you know a few company groups and you know that was sort of starting and we just sort of got a little traction we pounded a lot of pavement and you know there was no real marketing game you know we didn't have any game in marketing but you know that was kind of the the beginnings and then we sort of grew it from there the backpacking and, turned into you know rock climbing and you know we're right there near Yosemite of course there's great climbing all over there even outside of the park and yeah um so you know we just sort of grew everything from the from there and and, from the uh,
0: humble bohemian beginnings of a a, an outfitting company
1: absolutely so the two of us worked for or three of us worked for about seven years together on the business and and I'm still great friends with both my former partners Um, then one one peeled off and he's still sort of an industry guy, but does a little different stuff. And he's he's real successful. And the other partner and I worked for about 10 years together. And then I took over and I've been running the ship here for another 20 years. So it's been 30 year anniversary this year is 2021.
0: Wow. Congratulations. A 30-year business. So you were a guide. And as I often say, guide made good. You were a guide who also was a businessman. And I have to tell you that I really respect and admire you for this because, Ian, my friends regularly say to me, hey, Barry, you know about business and you know know about the commercial world, but you're also a rafting guide. Why didn't you start a rafting company? And I always respond the same way, which is that I love rafting. I I didn't want to lose that as that gift in my life that you know, I like the business world. I love my corporate job as well. But I didn't want to burn that up because I've seen a lot of company owners, a lot of people like you, who end up just commercializing and just hating their own sport. So that, that doesn't sound like you.
1: Yeah, that's that's really well said, Barry. Yeah, it's true. It's It's a challenge. I think it's, you know, in the beginning, I was out. You know, we were out hundreds of nights a year, right? And guiding. We'd we'd sell the trips, we'd prepare for the trips, we'd go out with the guests, we'd come back, we'd have a shower, but boom, you got another group the next day, just grinding, right? Just out every day and loving every minute of it. Those those were kind
0: of the days. But people forget you still gotta run the business. There's but, a lot of admin there. You gotta sell and you gotta take money and you gotta you know, schedule and everything else. I mean, that's a lot of work. Very
1: true. And so as as you got bigger. Then you had to have, exactly, you needed someone there on the phones and you needed, you know, we always would rotate, but then it got bigger and bigger, right? And so it's kind of true. Like I, I spend more days in front of a computer these days, you know, than I probably care to admit. But sure, I, I've sort of morphed into taking some of the similar joys, I guess, from guiding I've kind of morphed those into taking joys of guiding my business, if that makes sense, like being sure. the captain of the ship, sorta.
0: Of. well, I can I can see that in the quality of your website, Ian. I can see it in the quality of your guides and 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 the biographies that I read of your people. I can see that you've done a great job of guiding the business as well as being a guide. And I'd, I'd like to to drill down on that. But one of the things that I was so charmed with in your your own biography is the first line says, simply put, I still love to guide exclamation point. And I just completely love that because I hope you're getting the chance to get on trips with your clients and to still get out of the office. Definitely. I
1: still make it a priority to at least get out there, you know, a couple times a year, if if, if not more. And I definitely take on special trips, you know, if we have, you know, super VIPs and things like that, kind of the I was listening to carrie gray and and the people she takes out and we we've got some of that going on too which is you know i'll I'll take great opportunities to meet you know extraordinary people on on trips or stuff that's really important that that would be a good good way for me to get out there
0: well you know and you also identify in your bio that it's not just the beautiful places that you go it's not just the sport of whether it's rock climbing or hiking or trekking or whatever but for me I think the buzz is the same as it is for you. It's the people. It's the people that you get to work with, the other guides. It's your customers so often that you meet who are so often very fascinating people and people to learn from. That That's what I get from your bio, too.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, it really is. You know, We say it all the time, You know, like in staff training or whatever. It's like people, they're going to go to all these great places. And they're going to go with different companies and to different places. And they're going to see great stuff, but the memories they're going to remember you and your interaction with them. And even if you go to the same places over and over, once you strip it all away and the lakes are beautiful and the peaks are wonderful, and whether you're doing that in the Sierra or in you know, Costa Rica, the, the waterfalls are great. And in South America, the people are fantastic. But it's what you strip all the stuff away that you're seeing, It it's about the connection that you made with that person in the wilderness setting. And that's that's powerful. Whether it's for a half day on the Middle Fork or 23 days down the John Muir Trail, it, it, it's there, and it's palpable, and it's it's a gift.
0: I think that one of the reasons that these kinds of adventures got popular with businesses some years ago is that I think if you and I share a three-day experience, like you say, or a six-day adventure, we're going to have a connection because of that shared adventure, that shared trial, the intensive time together, the time to talk where it's quiet with no other distractions. I just feel like a shared adventure is an amazing opportunity, like you mentioned, to really connect with people on a very real human level.
1: Yeah, that's that's really true. And and it's it's special. I mean, it it takes, you know, kind of a half a day or a day, you know, to kind of get the travel away from people and the logistics and and just sort of getting out on the trail. And and Backcountry travel is really great for this because people are very active but they're also in their heads a lot, right? You're just walk, think about your backpacking trips, you know, you're half the time you're looking down at the feet of the person in front of you, but it's sort so of so you
0: don't stumble and hurt yourself in
1: some way. Right? <laughs> exactly. But you know, you're in your head and you're thinking about things and you're enjoying things and the people who are stressed out in their lives and and they're thinking about stuff or you know, that aren't used to being where they are, you know, kind of out of their comfort zone, as they say, you know, it takes like a day to kind of think about what you did just to get here and what's going on, excitement about the trip. Then, you know, day two, they're sort of thinking about, uh, nervous about, oh, the rest of the trip and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Day three, they've started thinking about their family and everything else and their business and their retirement and what's going to happen. By day four, you've thought about everything you can kind of think about at that point. That's where the good <laughs> stuff, okay to relax. yeah, that's where the good stuff comes out in your head where you're just sort of like, eh, or whatever I already covered that in my head, you know, yeah. and so once you get to that point, it's kind of neat to just sort of hang out with people in the back country and you know even before that point too, but you know what I mean, like there's this sort of build up to nothing, a buildup to sort of just being out in the, in the woods, you know, <laughs> and
0: clear-headed and, and clear-eyed and just ability to appreciate that. Whereas without all these distractions and social media and everything else going on, do you remember the first time that you saw Yosemite or were you too young? For example, it has just always been a part of your life.
1: Yeah. We used to go camping a bit and, you know, my parents, but I imagine they took me to Yosemite, but I think it was mostly summer camp.
0: And where were your summer camps near Bass Lake? Were you saying? Yeah, it was
1: right on Bass Lake. So it's called Sky Lake Yosemite Camp. And we used to do trips, you know, out of there, day trips to Yosemite, and just up into the, you know, hanging out on the on the creeks and rivers and things like that, and around the lake. So that, and you'd live outside, you know, you you had a cabin, but you'd sleep on cots outside, and so under the stars. If we're, you know, we'd go for a month every summer, and so it, it was. That's what I remember, like really going. Man, this is this is fun. Hanging out. Amazing.
0: Yeah. I was talking to Mason Gravley, who hosts the Adventure Sports Podcast, and he said that his heart remains in Yosemite. He was there once and his heart remain remains there. And I still think about the times that I've gone to Yosemite. I've probably been there 50 times, which is about you know a hundredth of the number of times you've probably been. But I still think about driving through the tunnel and seeing the valley open up in front of in front of you. It's almost like a cinematic scene when the valley just pops for you and how breathtaking that really is talk about that experience for people might maybe who've never been there before ian
1: yeah the thing is it's the same for everyone and it's the same for you mentioned you've probably been there 50 times i i don't know maybe i've been here 500 every time i come around that that one turn you're talking about highway 41 the southern yosemite area or any of them but that in particular when you hit that one turn where you go through the tunnel and you see you know, the valley, and you see El Capitan, and you see the waterfalls, and you see Half Dome, and Cloud's Rest, and up into Tuolumne Meadows. It really is the same for everyone. It's like, oh, shit, this is incredible. Yeah. Like, this is a whole nother level. And so you get why there's 5 million people every summer that come there.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's an obvious reason. I, I get, honestly, even just talking about it, I get a chill thinking about it, yeah. taking my kids there for the first time a few years ago. and. Just the way that the valley opens up for you and just the way you see it, it's really, really breathtaking. I, I love that. This episode of the Leading Steep podcast has just one exclusive sponsor, and it's an easy one for me to tell you about. The Ready State was founded by my friends, former guides and steep leaders themselves, Juliet and Dr. Kelly Starrett. You're gonna meet them in a few weeks on this podcast and you'll be just as enamored with them as I am. Kelly is a world-renowned physical therapist, author and speaker who's helped athletes with household names from every major sport, including the NFL, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball. He's worked with Olympic gold medalists, CrossFit champions, ballet dancers, and the military. You may have seen him on 60 Minutes, Outside Magazine, and in many other outlets, and he's featured in the Tim Ferriss bestsellers, The 4-Hour Body, and Tools of Titans. Kelly's created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach at thereadystate.com. I'm using it myself to get ready for an ambitious year of Class 5 Whitewater. Now, we won't all have access to Kelly the way elite athletes do, but the Virtual Mobility Coach gives you tailored access to find a solution to what ails you. It walks you step-by-step through Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve your range of motion, improve performance, and get in prime shape for whatever challenges you've got ahead. If you're in pain, you can pull up a diagram of the human body, click on what hurts, and from there get a customized regimen to help find relief. If you are working out or playing a sport, Virtual Mobility Coach offers all sorts of pre- and post-exercise mobility sequences for more than 50 activities. Right now, The Ready State is offering Leading Steep listeners like you a discount. First, you can try The Virtual Mobility Coach risk-free for two weeks without paying a penny. If you decide to continue, you can get 10% off using promo code STEEP10. So again, all you have to do is go to thereadystate.com and when you check out, use the discount code STEEP10 to get 10% off for the life of your membership after your 14-day free trial ends. Thank you for supporting our sponsor, The Ready State. So I'm stalking guides, right? I'm stalking guides for for my show and really trying to pick interesting and fascinating people who are doing fascinating things in the guide industry. And it's a double bonus when I find somebody who's a a strong business leader as well who's had a great vision. I'm going to tell you that your website is one of the most beautiful in the outdoor industry that I've seen. And I think part of that is because of the fact that you have a great subject to shoot, right? You got absolutely beautiful scenery everywhere you go there, but I congratulate you on your website, on your business. It'll look smashing.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. We work hard on that stuff, but it's been a progression, right? So it's probably been 20 years worth of websites and rebuilds and it's always a, a continuum. It's like painting the bridge though. I mean, you,
0: you got to keep doing you're, it. You're yeah. from the
1: Bay Area, right? You paint the Golden Bridge. You, by the time you hit the other end, it's done. So, And then integrating the software ideas and trying to figure out how to do that. And I spend a lot of time, you know, not necessarily doing it, but managing it. So we've tried to maintain that sort of catalog feel and tried to Give people a sense of awe. And yes, you are correct. Yosemite is a very, <laughs> a very easy wow factor there. No, well,
0: and and many of your trips, as you say, are outside of Yosemite, outside of the valley, of course, which which tends to be extremely crowded in the summer anyways. But yeah. if I were to ask you in this catalog, which is the marquee trip that you would describe? Maybe, if not your bestseller, let's say, the trip that is most uh, sought after in some way.
1: Yeah, I would say that... The thing that we're most well-known for now, that we're we're one of the pioneers of of sort of guiding this trip would be the John Muir Trail. So it's a 23-day trip, and, you know, we resupply it four different times into the backcountry. So there's, you know, by mules, and sometimes it takes the mules two days to, you know, just to get the food in and out. And we're constantly... You know, we have the guides are, are with you and it's it would be similar to like the 20-day trip down the Grand Canyon where, you know, which I've been fortunate to do twice, once when I was
0: Fantastic. about 20 and maybe about 40. So this trip, though, includes a summit of, of, of Mount Whitney as well, and which it, is the highest peak in, in the continental United States, right?
1: That's correct. So you have the longevity of just being out there. It's a very unique place. There's not that many places you can hike for 20 days and still be in the backcountry. No roads, Incredible, nothing, you know. So And it does end on Mount Whitney, which is a really fantastic summit, especially if, with the crew you've been with for 23 days. And remember, af- remember after day four... You've thought of everything, right? So all the good stuff comes <laughs> from four to twenty, twenty-three. And it, it's it, a pretty it, it. exciting undertaking, and and more and more people are are coming. We used to offer this trip. We've offered it for almost you know over twenty-five years, and we would fill one trip a half full, you know, two, three, four people. No one could really. See themselves doing it, but now that the well, because it's
0: hard, right? It's it's hard, and it's twenty three days. I mean, it's a physical commitment. It's a commercial logistical commitment. It's a big trip.
1: Oh yeah, all of the above, all of the above, and, and so. But now people want to do it, you know, and people are excited to do it. And and there's a certain, you know, it's sort of a, I guess industry trend or whatever. But you'd probably have good perspective on this too. But it would just be there's more and more people that go guided right? Just in everything. you know. There's not a stigma. Whereas 20 years ago, you're going on a guided backpacking trip, like whatever, I could do that on my own. Well, you could because you know how to do it, but most people don't know how to do it. And there's a bigger, bigger disconnect between kind of a knowledge base and just safety and everything that people don't think twice about getting a guy to do anything, which, you know, I heard one of your guests say like, I think it was you actually Barry that said, "Oh, wherever I go, I I get a guide." I mean, I know the value of a guide. No, you
0: you are preaching to the choir and I'm looking at your trips and, you know, I I'm pretty skilled outdoorsman. I could go to, uh, you know, REI and get all the gear as I mentioned earlier and and I could do this on my own, but no, I deeply value guides. I'm a, I'm a reasonably skilled angler. I'm a fly fisherman. I have guided fly fishing trips, in, and I still hire guides when I go to, go to waters that I don't know and places that I don't know because I know it's just going to enrich the experience and be a lot more fun for me. So I completely respect what you're doing here. One of the fascinating things, and then I want to talk about your guides. But one of the things that fascinates me about some of your trips are that you do pack mule-supported trips. Yes.
1: Yes, we do. So this has been a real great, not invention, but we kind of put, you know, the two together. So the packing industry is a very unique industry and it's very, um, at one point, it's pretty robust in the Sierra. And so we started kind of accessing a certain clientele, if you will, that had some more time, had some more money didn't want to carry a 45 pound backpack on a 20 for 23 days, right? Or even so, still want the
0: access to the trail and to the route and the scenery, but just didn't want to carry this giant backpack. Yeah,
1: Didn't have to anymore. And so we combined these two and we've had very great success um, with the pack stock supported trips. And sometimes they're, you know, just go into a lake and they drop the stuff off and they come and pick us up three or four days later. And that's
0: kind of a signature trip
1: of ours. It's so
0: great. And know, I mean, I got to tell you, one of the things that I love about rafting, I have often called it lazy man's backpacking because the river does all the work. You pack everything you want in the boat, chairs and stoves and, you know, anything you want in the raft. But in this case, you kind of simulate that in a way where the pack mule is carrying so much of your gear. Absolutely.
1: And, and no coincidence there that you noticed it too. We and we always kind of laugh like going on the river trips and I've gone on, you know, a bunch of river trips, you know, guided trips and with so and, and private trips down the Grand Canyon, and it's like we kind of laugh as backpacking guides. It's like, oh, the river guides got it easy, you know. <laughs> we
0: do you know? exactly. But then you're right.
1: out there with them for a, a week or more, and they're working their tails off too. But you know they don't have to carry it. But the mules carry it. But even when we have the mules with us, we do some trips that are continue. They're called through packing, where you know you continuously have the stock. You have a packer or two packers and two strings of mules. And, you know, they're out with us for seven to 10 to, you know, 14 days sometimes
0: and so that's a big deal a lot of logistics and a lot of a lot of planning there but but just so people get the right impression I read though that the mules and the horses walk separately from the party either they're ahead or something or behind so you don't you don't have the burden of staring up the back end of a horse for yeah, good <laughs> for miles yeah, right yeah,
1: exactly good observation so we don't you know ride the horses we don't have too much interaction with them if no you only. don't
0: horse pack right yeah I, I got to tell you a, a story of my own uh, I've got a little bit of experience with horse packing but unintentionally so so some decades ago a couple of buddies of mine and i were going to try and run the san joaquin river a first raft descent of the headwaters of the san joaquin you know the first kayak descent had been done by royal Robbins and reg lake and a couple of other legendary people so we were trying to replicate that trip in a raft well we got down about halfway and one of our guys got injured and we lost a whole bunch of really necessary safety gear and everything so we were beaten down after four or five days, and we rolled up the boat and put it behind a tree and a bunch of poison oak, so nobody would do, do anything with it. And we hiked out. We hiked out like 10 miles at Miller's Crossing. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know that place, sure. but hiked out over the San Joaquin on Miller's Crossing and then saved up some guide money or tip money and had to come back a couple of weeks later with a horse packer to pack my boat and all the gear <laughs> yeah. out. So, yeah. so I can appreciate yeah. how, the, how, how sure these mules the and horses guys work. We still use... Probably the same guys. Yeah, that no. was a grueling day, though. Yeah, Even absolutely. riding, riding down and back for ten miles each way was grueling. My back was <laughs> was in terrible shape.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I've done trips where private trips where someone said, you know, kid, can we actually ride the horses? And you know, I'll talk to the pack station, and we might do something like that every so often. But
0: yeah. I, they say, you want a horse? I'm like, no, no, no I'll walk. I'll walk. <laughs> it's hard. It's, yeah. it's hard. I respect people that do these century rides, you know, these 100-mile rides on horses because it's really hard. Yeah. What I want to talk about, though, is, of course, the subject of this show, which is your guides. Yeah. And so when I look at your catalog and I look at your profiles of some of your really terrific guides and the profiles for them, I'd love to hear about— where you find your guides, where you hire, and and how you train your guides, and then maybe even a story or two about some individuals that work for you, Ian.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard to to sustain the level of professionalism and experience and fun factor and all the things that you want in a guide. And so, you know, we we've found this niche between sort of, you know, traditional task-oriented guiding, you know, whether it's just sort of fly fishing or rock climbing and, you know, these sort of wilder, you know, adventure travel, which is passport guiding. And we've sort of found this niche in between where we've had, we're like one foot into one, one foot in the other. So for us, it makes it more challenging, right? Because Yes, you definitely need to have experience in the backcountry. So you need to be, you know, wilderness first responder and you need to have medical training. You need to have experience, but it's it's not everything. You know, we can train you to go out to a lake, eight miles out to the lake and then hike to the different lakes during the days and and then get the people back in, right? So we can train you to do the loops and we can train you to do the, the Yosemite crossings, or even by the time you get on the longer trips, you need more training. You need experience, but to get your foot in the door, what what we can't train for is someone who's just a person or a, that just sort of gets it. I don't know. There's sort of this intangible, I think Jim Coffey was talking about it, but it's sort of this intangible of you've got to have a person who's can communicate, who's friendly, who's a team player for, for the the company, but also a team player f- to get along with the guests, you know, whether they're ruly or unruly, and a team player within their guide realm. And so, who has the skills? And so we pull a lot from outdoor education. So outdoor educators is a good. You know, kind of a baseline, because they are like Knowles graduates and things. So at least they have the basics, right? And more than the basics, they have experience doing, you know, semesters or things like that, or Outward Bound and not not so much Outward Bound, but more Knowles, right? The National Outdoor. And
0: leadership. that's the National Outdoor Leadership School, right? For people who don't know Knowles.
1: Exactly. So those guys are really, you know, good. We'll pull, you know, if we see a camp counselor, you know, for our junior guys starting out, that's. That's a good one, right? If we see any experience, especially river rafting, we love the Mm -hmm. river raft guides because they know how to throw a good old time right out there and, and to really connect. So that's sort of the the skills part, right? And and just sort of the basics part. But then that certain other part, we like to see experiences. So if someone has done a lot of things personally, like, oh, with me and my friend, we biked across the country, we figured out all the logistics on our own. And then, and in our application, we'll ask, you know, we have people, guides often say, oh, man, this is the most fun application I've ever seen. But the gist of it is without having seen it written down is we ask people about other things than just the skills. So, you know, what, just to get to know them, you know, something silly, like what are your five favorite movies or what books have you read recently? And, you know, tell us a a funny story or one of our things is, you you know, you, you got invited to a barbecue. What do you bring? And, And just stuff like that, just to get people in it, you know, and they, they think that all we want to see is, you know, how many, how many rock climbs they've done and in, in all of that. And we do have a rock climbing program, but it's not nearly as robust as the backcountry stuff. But so those guys can get away with a little less, you know, color commentary and more skills. Sure. But we try to find that certain something, we, we, we call them sort of kind of outsiders, right? So the straight you know, oh, I, I ran um, the summer camp program or I ran an outdoor schools you know site for this. That's great. But we like to see some sort of an outsider tie in, I suppose, would be a good way to say it.
0: One thing that we found, for example, in the rafting business was that a very successful athlete or kayaker might not end up being all that great a guide. They just don't have the, the, the personality for it or the interest in it. And they love whitewater. They love rivers. They don't necessarily love people. So this is what I'm calling guide ethos is I think you got to find the people that have this guide ethos, these, this certain set of characters to be both leaders and, and coaches and, and counselors and, and all of that exactly exactly
1: and there is that certain thing you can't you kind of just can't put your finger right on although if when you're we can as managers you would always say oh this yeah this guy hasn't really done exactly what we're doing but i think he'd be a great guide and then we could train the rest
0: so when i read the reviews for many of your trips and i have i've been through a lot of your a lot of your website but when i read the reviews i get things like this from sarah who says, just wanted to state the obvious, Wilson and Sierra are the greatest guides you have in all caps. Professional, respectful, intelligent, calm, supportive, and patient. And that's just typical. Virtually all of these trips have these kinds of reviews that in particular cite the quality of your guides. Thanks.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and those you mentioned, the, and there's a there's a ton more. As business owners, right, it's your baby, right? So when you hear stuff like that, you know that yeah, this is great, you know, like this is, that really makes you feel good. And and a lot of our, our, our crew, they, they really get it. And if they're kind of uninspired, if somehow they become uninspired or they- you know, Burned out. Burned out, exactly. Yeah. They don't last too much longer, you know. And we don't, I don't think we've ever really had to fire anyone. I can't remember in 30 years. But it's like most people, they get it. And they know that they're not just working for this huge company, you know, that's got hundreds and hundreds of employees and millions and millions of dollars in, in travel. I mean, you know, we're like a boutique winery or something, I guess it'd be a sure. you know, like there's, you know, we're not taking thousands and thousands of people, you know, in, in the valley and bus loads. I mean, we have unique trips and really hard to get to places and we have a collective of guides that buy into this is a really important thing to be on your game all the time you know and yep. this is an experience whether it's for three days for someone and they're never been out in the wilderness before they've never slept outside that's going to be an equally as powerful experience as someone who's really really experienced and has finally worked their way up to do 20 days down the john muir trail they're going to get the same feeling when they see that lake after being tired all day, you know, and they're going to have great food and you're going to be cool and connect with them and they're going to be cool and connect with you hopefully. And that's where, like you said, that's the guide ethos, I suppose.
0: So one of the challenges that you face that I don't as a whitewater guide is that when you have people on the trail, this is a pretty strenuous activity and you list pretty well up front in your catalog, this trip is strenuous, this trip is, is less strenuous, et cetera. But when Colby or Dahlia or Fred encounters a a, a client that's having a, a difficult time, I just wonder how they coach those people to continue on and not necessarily to just to give up and lose this experience. I mean, how, how does that look?
1: Yeah, that's, it's hard. I mean, we we try to teach scenarios and, you know, we have a guide training the week before the summer, every summer, right? And we try to get go through scenarios like that and whether it's something just like really just wants to give up or just pacing you know someone's really a lot faster than someone
0: else and oh that's got to be hard yeah
1: yeah and so just having you have to kind of start early right and you have to start right from the orientation we put a lot of emphasis on orientation about setting that right expectation that you know you're on a group trip and you know we got to be a team out there this isn't we can't just go home at the end of the day we're doing a loop and you know it's seven days around this loop and at one point we'll be as far from home this way is this way right and so you know having the mentality of the guests buy in and knowing what they're getting into having the guides manage the expectations can help a lot because a, a lot of times it is mental you know like the the guests that you know in your hypothetical I don't think I have I don't think I could do it I, I you know i'm I'm well behind everyone and everyone's waiting for me at the junction every time and you know it gets in their head and the reality of it is is the guide you know has to not leave that person. it's everyone's trip and we train them you know it's not just the slow person, the quiet person, the loud person, the fast person. Most of the times we have two guides on the trips unless it's a small private like you know family of four or something. Like you have to be a, a counselor, a guidance counselor sometimes too, like, you know, sum them up. And, you know, there's occasions where it's like, yeah, this person's not going to make it and we have to come out and get them.
0: <laughs> you know? and, and so and in terms of risk management, as are many of our rafting outfitters, do you carry a sat phone then on the trip typically and big first aid kit, I assume?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like in the early days, right, there wasn't any communication. We Now we almost, you know, we get... Frowned upon if we don't have redundant satellite communication, you know. But
0: yeah, looks like you have a terrific crew. How many guides do you typically carry for a season, and how many how many new new hires do you make during a uh, during your spring?
1: Typically, on a, you know on a busy season, we'll have maybe twenty different employee guides leading trips all over, and maybe we'll have. Five or six guys that used to work for us, men and women, they'll come back, and say, all right, I'll guide a trip for you. I'm doing this now, or I'm, I'm at grad school, or I am at took a job teaching or something like that, but they'll come back and lead a trip or two. So we have a few of those, you know.
0: That's my profile too, Ian. I'm, I'm kind of a weekend warrior, or, you know, part-timer. I guide on a, on a rare occasion commercially and most often privately, but that, that's terrific. Yeah. So 2020 was our pandemic year. Did this affect your business adversely or positively because many people actually had very positive effects to their business because people were so anxious to get outside and it feels to me like your trips are a pretty perfect opportunity to be able to potentially socially distance but get in some recreation. How was 2020 for you?
1: 2020 was rough to be honest. It was our business was down substantially. I mean, we had it pretty well booked going into that March right of 20, right before the pandemic of 2020, you know, enough to where the, the remaining, you know, 30% would sort of fill in, you know, for yeah. the last, more or less minute. And so we were looking good. And then the coronavirus hit and then people really weren't sure, like everyone. Right. And so that was really bad. We, so we had a super late start and then we finally got some stuff going and then the first week of september there was a huge forest fire you probably know it. the creek fire which was out in the southern sierra central southern sierra and that just ravaged tons of all of our access and so the stuff that we finally got going we had to literally like get people out of the back country people had flown in that week for their trips that day like we can't take you out there and then yep. we had to give, you know, tons of credit and refunds just because we
0: we felt horrible, you know what's 2021 looking like for you so people are booking up now i mean I, I have this program junior guides raft camp and this year a bunch of returning families from last year who weren't able to go last year we sold out in 15 minutes ian i hope your your business is similarly successful this year oh, how's that, it looking that's
1: fantastic yeah you know it's getting better i mean we have a lot of people with credit on the books right so that's kind of a yep. double edged it's like yeah your your trips are full but they've Carry not, a of, not a lot not a lot of cash coming through right so it's tricky yeah. but you know, we're seeing a pretty big uptake the last few weeks. So the first, you know, last week of February, first week of March, right now. So uh, that's looking good. People are still a little hesitant, and but I think, like sure. you said, you know, like our trips, and we've had to change protocols and things just to retain our commercial permits for um, COVID safety. But. Yeah. You know, like you said, once you get out there for anything, if you're talking about an activity, it's actually a really good sort of, you know, non-risky activity for being, you know, you're not in an enclosed space and, you know, all the the tells for kind of avoiding viruses.
0: I completely get it. And I really applaud you on this business that you've got because it's, it, it looks really solid. You've done it for many, many years successfully, which is saying something anyways. Not everybody is capable of sustaining a business life like this. Feels to me like you're doing it for the right reasons. You like your people, you like your clients, you like the place you work. I, I applaud you for for keeping it where it is and, and being successful the way you have been, Ian. Thank you very much, Perry. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and a, a real enlightening conversation about your guides and your business and everything you're doing. I, I thank you so much for spending time with me on Leading Steep.
1: Okay, great. Thanks, Perry. Talk to you soon. Stay awesome. in touch
0: after camping in yosemite teddy roosevelt said it was like lying in a great solemn cathedral far vaster and more beautiful than any built by the hand of man listen if you want to pine over those screensaver-like backgrounds i talked about see the tremendous trips that ian and a bunch of terrific guides offer in and around yosemite visit symg.com Be sure to read some of the reviews where people rave about the results of Ian's training for his guides and their passion for showing people one of the most beautiful places on the planet. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with friends. Thank you so much for subscribing and leaving a review on your podcast app. Apple podcasts has the greatest impact for us. As always, I'd love to hear from you. It's Barry at LeadingSteep.com or join us on our Facebook conversation group, Leading Steep Fireside, and connect with like-minded adventurers and fans. When I raft the Merced River in Yosemite or the Tuolumne just outside, I'll surely be rowing a Sotar. It was the -the state-of-the-art raft for my first trip down the Tuolumne River, and it will be on my last many years from now. I write and record this show myself. The folks at usehatch.fm take me through the peaks and valleys of audio histograms. I use squadcast.fm to connect me with terrific folks like Ian. I'm using Descript to record this outro. If Teddy Roosevelt were here today, I'd like to think he'd be listening too. Thank you so much for listening to the Leading Steep Podcast. I'm Barry Cruz.